As we gaze into the night sky, we often feel a sense of wonder at the incredible creation of God. Stargazing can be a fulfilling activity for many people, but how does one tell all those different constellations apart? Stay tuned. These are like stick figures of creatures in the sky, various animals and people and mythological creatures. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Perhaps there is no better way to experience this heavenly declaration than to cast our eyes upward into the sky on a dark, clear night and behold the beauty of the created universe. Come with us for the next 15 minutes as we discover stargazing and learn how it can renew a sense of wonder and appreciation for our Creator. Dr. Donald DeYoung is professor of physics at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, and author of the book, Astronomy and the Bible. He says although times have changed, the stars are still there to behold and enjoy. In past years, people were quite familiar with the night sky. It was a popular pastime to learn the names of constellations and to count shooting stars. Today, active indoor schedules have replaced much outdoor study of the creation. Bright city lights have also dimmed the night sky. For those who make the effort, however, stargazing is still a fascinating, refreshing investment of time. Dr. Danny Faulkner, professor of astronomy at the University of South Carolina at Lancaster, would agree and explains that stars are grouped together into constellations. These are like stick figures of different creatures in the sky, various animals and people and mythological creatures. And a lot of the stars have names as well. And a lot of these names are Arabic because they came to Europe by way of the Arabs a thousand years ago. A lot of the names, though, and a lot of the constellation names are very obscure. We really don't know who made these names up, and we don't know how long ago it was. It's interesting to note that some constellations are mentioned in Scripture. Dr. Ron Samick is professor of physics and astronomy at Bob Jones University in South Carolina. Even the word constellation shows up in Isaiah 13.10. I think one of the verses that people point to that have to do with constellations is uh, Job 38.31-33. This is a section that God is talking to Job and showing him his great power. And he says this, he said, Canst thou bind the sweet influences of the Pleiades, which is a star cluster, and maybe you've heard or seen the seven sisters, a little tiny cluster of stars in the sky, or loose the bands of Orion. And of course, Orion is a major constellation in winter. Dr. DeYoung. The Bible also describes Orion, a hunter which marches across winter skies, with his dog, Canis Major, beside him. Next to Orion are two stars called Castor and Pollux. On one of the Apostle Paul's journeys, his ship sailed under the sign of Castor and Pollux, according to Acts chapter 28, verse 11. While Pleiades and Orion are highlighted during the winter nights, the other three seasons also have their distinct constellations in the night sky. In the spring, the constellation called Leo the Lion is prominent. In summer, the large and small dippers, called Major and Minor Ursa are in the northern sky. The cup portion of the Big Dipper points to Polaris, the North Star. This pole star is positioned directly above the Earth's rotation axis, 
Over the centuries, Polaris has been invaluable in showing direction to explorers on land and sea. Summer is also the best time to notice the Milky Way galaxy. It stretches across the sky as a wide gray band. Binoculars reveal countless stars along the path of the Milky Way. In the fall, a constellation called the Northern Cross is overhead. The Southern Hemisphere is a corresponding place where the Southern Cross appears. It is of interest that the Creator has placed the cross symbol in both hemispheres for all to see, a heavenly reminder of the Gospel message. There are so many stars in the heavens. How does one make a distinction between the different constellations? Although you may have trouble recognizing them at first, Dr. DeYoung says there's a simple way to tell the constellations apart from other stars. Begin simply by obtaining a simple star chart or map of the night sky. Popular astronomy magazines from the library will have a chart for the current season. Take this chart outside on a clear night along with a dim flashlight. You will soon be able to match the bright stars with the names on the chart. Repeat this for several nights and you will have the bright stars memorized. The constellations also will begin to take shape, along with the many dimmer stars. A good imagination will also aid in your stargazing adventure. Dr. Faulkner. These at best are going to be stick figures. And again, stick with some of the brighter ones. Orion is a very bright constellation, and you can see it almost anywhere at night, in the, in the wintertime at least, no matter how many uh, lights are around, because the stars in it are very bright. And it does kind of actually look like a man up in the sky. It's supposed to be a great hunter. And if you have a good imagination, you can see that stick figure outline to do that. Some of the other constellations like Aries and Virgo, they're kind of faint and they don't look anything like what they're supposed to be. So be warned, some constellations are uh, pretty poor looking. And if you're stargazing in the city, it's important not to focus on the surrounding artificial light. Dr. Samick. Once you're out in the dark sky, this would be like an, an hour and a half after sunset. You should not look toward bright lights. You should, uh, if you bring a flashlight, which is good to have, you should cover it with some kind of red cellophane. A uh, paper bag will do because a red light doesn't destroy your night vision, whereas blue and other color lights will uh, make you lose your night vision. And so the main thing is to be able to see something. <laughs> One of the most fun things to do is to recognize the constellations so you can have a great time just looking around the sky and seeing what constellations are up at your season. Of course, the best location and condition in which to stargaze is outside the city limits on a clear night. Dr. Faulkner. First of all, it helps to have a very dark, clear night. If you're doing this with some clouds or haze, it's not good. If you're doing it uh, near some bright lights, such as a large city, that is a definite problem. You can only see some of the brighter stars under those circumstances. So I'd encourage you getting out of the city as much as possible. And recreational stargazers can enjoy God's nighttime beauty without high-tech equipment. Dr. DeYoung. Note that a telescope is not necessary. Your unaided eye is sufficient to notice the different colors of stars, the bright planets, meteors, also called shooting stars, and the satellites that gracefully sail overhead. Binoculars are certainly helpful for observing the moon. 
However, more serious stargazers do invest in visual aids. Dr. Samick recalls his childhood days of studying the stars and how he wanted a telescope to get a better look at the heavens. I didn't have much money, and I saved up pennies and nickels and dimes here and there. I saved up enough money to buy a small telescope. Uh, it was only a, a 30 millimeter, 30 power, a little tabletop telescope uh, I bought from a or surplus. And uh, that was so nice because I could actually view things close up in the planets and the clusters and so forth. And, and uh, I always enjoyed astronomy and I enjoyed it more and more as the as the days went on and I've got bigger telescopes and finally after I became a Christian the Lord directed me so that I could become a professional astronomer and uh, many astronomers you meet uh, were astronomers from early age and I'm talking about you know eight years old to, to 12 in that range. So it wasn't unusual to find the youthful Ron Samick outdoors at night, drawing pictures of the constellations. I remember my mother wondering why I was outside so much in the dark. <laughs> but uh, I had a great time. I still have my, uh, my drawings from those days. And um, not doing drawings anymore, but <laughs> doing mostly using electronic devices to record images and, and take data and so forth. But uh, I still remember those days. Dr. Faulkner. I can never remember a time that I wasn't interested in stargazing. I have a lot of early memories from the time I was two or three years old, and I do remember three or four years old sitting on the front stoop looking up at the sky at night in the summer and being very fascinated with it. And uh, throughout grade school and into junior high, I read what I could and learned what I could. It really didn't start to click, though, until probably junior high or high school. You've probably heard the words astronomy and astrology used interchangeably. However, they are indeed two separate subjects. So what's the difference? Dr. Faulkner explains. Yeah, astronomy and astrology are similar sounding terms, and for a long time they really were the same thing. They began to split their two separate ways about four centuries ago. And astrology is the belief, or actually it's a pagan religion, ancient pagan religion, that the positions of the planets and the sun and the moon and stars affect our destinies and our fates. And astronomy, of course, is the science of studying heavenly bodies, such as the planets uh, and the stars. Dr. DeYoung. Astrology has taken constellations and falsely used them to predict our future. In truth, the constellations were planned by the Creator for our enjoyment. They declare His great glory and majesty. Dr. Faulkner agrees. Well, I think it's interesting that the Bible explicitly mentions astronomy in Psalm 19 in speaking about general revelation. It appeals to the heavens. It tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. I think it's very interesting that the things in the heavens bear direct testimony to the kindness and the beauty that our Creator has. And I really do believe, personally, that's one of the things that attracted me to astronomy is the fact that uh, I want to learn more about Him because of what He's done in the heavens. Dr. Samick reminds us that the universe, in all of its splendor, is still not as important to God as we are. What is man? We consider all the heavens, and we're just a little tiny bit of this fantastic creation. But yet God has lifted us up and made us very important. And actually, we're more important than all the creation. One individual is, and he wants to have fellowship with us and, and wants us to have fellowship with him. 
And God made a way for us to fellowship with Him for all of eternity. We had actually revolted against God with our sin and gone against Him. But He, in His love, He, he still came to us and, and offered His life through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to give us a chance to be able to live with Him forever and enjoy the universe in a new creation that He will create where all this sin and corruption will be removed and uh, we'll be with Him forever to enjoy this, this vast universe. Dr. DeYoung. God does have all the stars by name and calls them out, each one. I guess that means every star is unique. And uh, boy, if He knows the stars' names, He certainly knows ours also. And in God's Word, the Bible, we learn that the one who made these stars loves us, and he reaches out to us with the gospel. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.